Hello, I'm Chloe Roll, and welcome to Health Glow with Chloe Podcast, the show where we tackle many health topics with a variety of professionals from all over the world. As a disclaimer, this podcast is not a substitution for a diagnosis. Kindly consult your physician with any questions you may have regarding your medical condition. Always remember, a healthy glow starts from within. Welcome back to Health Glow with Chloe. Today, our discussion will be on cannabis and its importance. I have the unique opportunity to introduce a trailblazing guest. She attended the University of California, San Diego, where she completed medical school. She stayed at UCSD and completed her residency in emergency medicine. And now she is an emergency medicine physician at Providence St. John Hospital. She also developed the Relief Institute in 2016, where she practices cannabis-based medicine. And lastly, she is the co-VP of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. Welcome to the show, Dr. Yaffe, or I'll call you Dr. Sherry. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for having me, Chloe. This is great. So I usually open up my show with the guest's favorite quote and why. Can you let us know what's your favorite quote? And what gets you up in the morning? Oh, that's a great question. So it's got to be reach for the sky. We we want to just keep reaching and pushing and moving forward, especially now in the digital age. I think we can accomplish so much more, so much faster, because we have the voice of millions of people across the globe to give us feedback and one foul swoop. So you can't just sit still and expect that what was good in early 1900s is going to be good here in 2021. We've got intelligence abounds around us. We have to use everyone's voices as a conglomerate to move forward. And you know what? I love that, Dr. Sherry. Um, We're going to reach for the sky in this podcast as we are going to talk or get in more detail of what cannabis means to the society today. And so for today, for the purpose of today's show, we will not use the term marijuana. So Dr. Sherry, can you briefly explain why is the term cannabis used in preference to marijuana? No, it's so interesting you asked this today of all days because I attended a journal club about exactly this today. Um, So the Society of Cannabis Clinicians is a group of physicians, clinicians, nurses, um, adjunct of healthcare providers across the globe. And we meet about once a month for journal clubs. And interestingly enough, a topic that has been near and dear to my heart is the term marijuana versus the medical terminology or the scientific term of cannabis. And it was just this that was discussed about how across the globe that there's so many different words that are used and how it's important to use the same word when we're identifying one topic or one species. Because if you look it up in US policy and DEA and FDA handbooks, it's going to be referred to as marijuana Mm -hmm. with a J, I believe, or an H. And then if you look it up in certain scientific texts, it's referred to as cannabis. And if you look it up in even other texts that's referred to as hash or Mary Jane, or et cetera, et cetera. And again, as we move into the world of 2021, it's really important that we keep this word consistent and what we're talking about consistent. So marijuana is actually a Spanish term and very specifically a Mexican slang for what is now known as cannabis. Cannabis is the scientific term for the plant cannabis sativa L. So this is the genealogy of the species of the plant. And what happened in the early 1900s, we were using cannabis here in the United States as part of our pharmacopoeia, part of our pharmaceutical medications. It was uh, mixed in with opiates. It was mixed in with cough syrup. It was used really very widely. And then what happened in the 1900s, specifically around 1920s, was there was a anti-Mexican and anti-Black movement. And in order to enslave people, in order to put people in jail, in order to kick people out of this country, what they did was they started using the term marijuana 
the Mexican slang term for cannabis, and started promoting that marijuana makes people crazy. It makes there, and there's actually specific text. I apologize for saying this, but I want people to understand there's actual text and advertising and propaganda that said, states the following. Marijuana makes black men go crazy and they will rape white women. I mean, that's the actual propaganda that was being promoted in the 1920s. There's reefer madness that was going, that was that started up back then. And what happened is that the, the promotion of this really started creating problems for Mexican immigrants, black Americans, and creating increased jail time, pushing people out of the country for usage of something that was actually being used routinely in medications here today. And so what we don't realize is that the separation of cannabis and marijuana really comes from this very unfortunate racial, you know, discriminatory pattern in the 1920s. And what was then put in the textbooks and in the DEA and FDA regulations had to do really specifically with marijuana, not with cannabis. And it was to create that sense of fear of the unknown, this fear of something that was different, that was being brought in by the Mexicans, that was being utilized by our jazz black players, right? So it was this really different connotation that was being integrated with this term. So glad that you cleared that up, Dr. Sherry. Um, it's important, especially now where we're seeing that an increase in maybe black males in the United States, you know, getting um, or being pulled over by cops now with marijuana use. And so I'm glad that that we cannot, we're not, we're not going to use the word today actually ever again. And I'm hoping that my listeners will not use marijuana again as well. So That's right. I do have a true and false segment that I'd like for you to tackle. The first one is you cannot overdose on cannabis. Good question. So true. You cannot overdose on cannabis. Now, we're going to talk about the specific chemicals. You cannot overdose on THC, which is the active chemical that gets you high. You cannot overdose on CBD, which is the non-intoxicating part of the plant. You cannot overdose on any of the other chemical cannabinoids of this plant. But I say this with a big but. I've worked in the ER for over a decade and a half. Stupid is as stupid does. So inevitably, somebody out there will figure out a way to hyperconcentrate this, to use it in a negative way, and they will figure out how to overdose and die from it. I promise you, if nothing else, that will come true in the next 10 years. Because in medicine, we know that dose matters. Yes. And that dose is equal to toxic versus therapeutic, right? That's what distinguishes Coumadin from being a therapeutic product that helps us thin out blood and prevent strokes from happening to being toxic chemical that we give in rat poison to kill rats. It's the same exact medicine, but different dosage and concentrations. So let's be real about the way we talk about this because I see this happen way too often in the cannabis industry and in the promotion of in the digital world is that patients come in there like, well, I thought you can't overdo pot. I thought you can't overdo cannabis. I thought uh, THC, all THC is medical THC. It's not true. And we have to correct this before it goes too far. I see 13 year olds. I have a 13 year old patient I saw in the last two weeks who's like, well, I did all the research myself and I learned that this was good for you. So therefore I take 50 milligrams, five zero milligrams what? of THC at night to go to sleep. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because that is literally... 10 times the dose of an adult male to a, for recreational purpose. And this 13 year old child is taking it to sleep at night. And we have to stop ourselves and say, when are we gonna start being responsible for what we put out there on the internet? When are we gonna be responsible for the words that we put out there? And that we have to know that not everybody who's reading this is going to take an appropriate dose, is even gonna understand what an appropriate dose is. And so at what point do we start saying, this is not really good for anybody's body when you're taking 10 times the regular dose? I'm so glad that you cleared that up because some of the true and false segment is came from the internet, sorry. And you get to see what the comments some people are making. Like you said, a lot of people, they're saying, oh, you can't overdose on cannabis. But I'm so glad to hear about, well, the 13-year-old 
who is taking this 50 milligrams, you know, that's pretty ridiculous. Right. And can you imagine if he's taking that every night? Exactly. What comes next, right? It's not just the dose for tonight. It's the dose every night. And the impression that this is an okay, healthy program. It's not. And my second uh, true or false is cannabis makes you lose brain cells. Good. This is this is one of my favorites that's a leftover from the reefer madness days. It does not make you lose brain cells. Um, we are still coming up on new studies routinely that are showing um, one that it's good for dementia. So what we're showing is that this is helping the cleanup cells in the brain so that your regular functioning cells and your neurons actually do better. So it doesn't kill brain cells. It, But again, this is where is it appropriate, right? Our brain is still growing and changing appropriately, but you know, before we turn 20, 21, 22, 25, you pick a number. And then between 25 and let's say 65, our brains aren't necessarily stagnant, but they're not growing in the same format that we see in those early years. Now, and then at 65, again, this brain changes. It's not a stagnant organ. Everything changes. And that's when we see this actual potential really improvement, specifically using CBD. So not just THC, but we're now looking into CBD as the other part of this whole segment. My third one is cannabis indica has been linked to cause muscle relaxation. That's a good, that's a good one. So that is also true. So cannabis sativa. So specifically THC is functions like a muscle relaxer. And one of the benefits of this is that it's a very mild muscle relaxer and it works very well in things like multiple sclerosis, where we see um, patients with muscle spasms and dystrophy that's causing pain. And so it works as a very nice muscle relaxer in those situations. Um, I don't know if the category of muscle relaxer is going to be the be all end all category that will finally fit for THC, but as a generality, I think it's an okay one to make. Okay. Uh, Cannabis causes you to sleep. (laughs) Oh, so this one is a hotly debated one. Users of cannabis will almost uniformly say that, oh, it helps me sleep at night. Um, In medical studies and research, it's very hard pressed to see, you know, is it the chicken or the egg, which one comes first. So for healthy individuals, THC has been shown to have no effect on sleep. Right. And CBD as well. So then we have to talk about unhealthy individuals, right? (laughs) And so patients with anxiety, depression, Um, patients with autism, with, um, like I mentioned, multiple sclerosis, dementia, Uh, let's keep going that list, Parkinson's disease, Um, uh, muscle aches and strains, all of these different things, I I could keep going. Mm -hmm. But all of these different things, all of a sudden you see, yes, THC and potentially CBD can be helpful for sleep. So it really, and it goes to reflect back on where this chemical or where the plant functions in our body. And the the theory right now is, is that it functions in homeostasis. And what does that mean? It brings you back to the middle. So if you're already in the middle and your body's functioning fine, then it really doesn't affect that homeostasis because you're already in the middle, right? But if your body is having a problem in one direction or another direction, it helps recenter those cells on a microscopic level, as well as your brain, your thought process, etc. And vaping THC is harmful. Ooh, so this one probably came out of 2020. So in 2020, we had a epidemic of vape um, vape related, it was called e-volley, e-cigarette um, related lung injury uh, was the e-volley term. And e-volley was actually related not just to um, vape pens specific to THC, it was also linked to vape pens with CBD and it was also linked with vape pens that had nicotine. 
And so you all had to, we, when we traced all of these links back, it ended up being related back to the black market and in the black market, very specifically to the vitamin E acetate that was being put in to actually um, sell cheaper products, right? Like to turn a fast buck because they had, could put in less of the actual active chemicals that people were purchasing, which goes to, um, you know, the fact that you should purchase these things through the legal market because the biggest advantage you're getting by paying taxes at an exorbitant rate, mind you, is that they will require those products to be checked and tested so that you don't get yourself into these negative situations. So vaping can be problematic. The best way to smoke or utilize it is actual plant matter that's still the healthiest of all ways. Vaping flour versus vaping oil is the most healthiest of all the ways. Okay. And lastly, THC is for recreational use and is the bad cannabinoid as opposed to CBD, which is a cannabinoid and medicinal. Right. So this is this is where we do the yin and yang. Everything is either black or it's white, right? And there's no gray in between. So unfortunately, we don't need to make everything evil, right? We don't have to make everything just because, you know, we, we don't talk about this enough in our society and in our culture, the American culture very specifically, um, the idea of recreational use. So number one, Relaxing and enjoying yourself is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. In fact, there is a reason why we have two days of vacation every seven day work week. It's because humans do not function well under stress and pressure and production seven days a week. We have to give our bodies and our minds a break. And that's what sleep is for. That's what weekends are for. That's what, you know, this idea of relaxation is for. It's so that our body resets so that we can perform better the next day, so that we can do better, so that we can reach for the sky, right? Okay. But if we're, if we're going to, you know, put pressure on ourselves all the time to keep going and keep being productive, or your body's going to fizzle out. It really will. Either your mind will or your body will, one way or the other. And I say this is a very United States theory because, you know, if you go to um, Europe, so, you know, the idea of a siesta in Spain, right? Mm -hmm. The two hours of lunchtime break a day right. is really a part of their culture, right? They, they value that relaxation aspect. In Australia, you get three months of paid vacation a year. Right, if I'm correct in all of these things. And it's the same idea that relaxation and vacation and stepping away from work is important and it's valued. Um, you know, in France, there's wine with every meal practically. Right. Um, again, it's not the idea of getting drunk that's valuable. It's the idea that you can kind of take a break, that you don't have to be productive at all times. Um, I'll take it one step further. So I'm Jewish and we really value food, <laughs> right? So food is a really big part of my culture, be it I'm, I'm Iranian and also Jewish. And it's a very kind of, kind of catch 22, if you will, for some people, but in both cultures, the value is placed on socialization and friendship and family and food. And in both cultures, it's really reinforced that taking a break and interacting with one another is really valuable. So much so that in Jewish tradition, every Friday night, we drink wine. It's part of it. It's yeah. part of our, right, it's part of our culture. And it's, it just goes back to the fact that, you know, THC could be, you know, we could replace wine with THC equivalently, right? The, the words could really be interplaceable. And the idea is, is that for recreational relaxation, resetting purposes, right? We're going to talk about resetting and coming to center again. It's very helpful. Now, I, I know I kind of went off a, a deep theoretical end no, there. I'm loving it, actually. Thank you. <laughs> but the other, the other aspect of the whole THC is evil, CBD is good, is not so, not so clear cut as well, because we're seeing really constantly in the literature that CBD does better when there's some THC in it, that the cannabinoid system in general responds to both of them somewhat better 
um, with a little bit of each in it, right? So that idea of balance is really important. Um, and over and over again, we're going to hear balance and homeostasis and coming back to center. It's all kind of refocusing in the same direction over and over again. Now, very quickly, THC is actually the, the first runner up and the, the, the prize winner for very specific types of scenarios. For insomnia, it works better. For my aggressive autism patients, it does better. Um, CBD, on the other hand, does better for other situations for the procognitive effects on both um, children as well as older adults. We see improvements in language, comprehension, expression with CBD. I mean, it far outweighs THC on that end. So it's really this balance of what you're looking for. And I always tell people intention matters. What is our intended outcome when we use this? Is it just to relax? And that's okay. Let's own mm -hmm. it. Let's own our relaxation. You know, in med school, we we have a saying, right? It's you you work hard, you play hard, right? Exactly. That's universal that's right. for all med schools. <laughs> exactly. It's universal across the board because we do. We work hard and we want to play hard because our time is valuable. And it's the same thing. So if we're going to do this with good intention, we have to know what our outcome is. Is our outcome to get better sleep? Go for it. That's okay. That's a good reason to use a THC-based product. Is our outcome to have, you know, that buzzing anxiety feel quiet down? If that's the outcome that you're looking for, then CBD is a really useful tool for that matter. You know, is the outcome to be able to have some wellness in what we're discussing in our day-to-day -day life? You know, you don't necessarily carry a diagnosis of anxiety or depression or, you know, MS or dementia, whatever have you, right? Any of these things we've been talking about, you don't carry one of those diagnoses, but you, you want to see how that fits into your life. And CBD may be a good pathway for you, right? I always talk about even like a starter pack, our starter introduction into all of this really is going to be CBD. Thank you so much. And before we get into this, I want to know what exactly is cannabis? All right, so cannabis is this wide-framed lens of plant. So if we're going to talk really specifically, cannabis is the actual flowering plant that we, you know, dig out and we cut the buds off of the flower and we use that flower that contains multiple cannabinoids. And when it comes from a plant, it's called phytocannabinoids. And these phytocannabinoids mimic what's going on on the inside of our bodies. And this is where we have our endocannabinoid system. Within cannabis, we have over 150 cannabinoids and over 400 um, unique and non-unique terpenes and flavonoids. And what do these words mean? So we've talked a lot about cannabinoids like THC and CBD. Mm -hmm. And then there's terpenes that are not necessarily unique to this plant. Terpenes are the things that give a plant its smell, its flavor, its look, its color. So those all kind of meld together. So we know that things like lavender plants and things like um, peppermint, things like black peppercorn, all of those things share similar terpenes that we see also in cannabis, which is why it kind of relates back for most people to like the nutraceutical industry or, you know, good healthy ground diets or organic based foods. Because again, we're talking about all of these natural occurring flowering plants, herbs that share, share a lot of similar features. And then there's also flavonoids. And so you can take 10 flowering cannabis plants and ask what's the difference between all these 10 plants when they have the exact same THC and CBD concentration. And what ends up being different in these plants has nothing to do with THC and CBD. It has to do with the terpenes and the flavonoids. And that gives it its different smell and its uniqueness to the land that it was raised in. Right. So if people are wine connoisseurs out there or beer connoisseurs out there, people talk about the different smells. Right. You know, right. I, I have a terrible sense of smell. So me don't too. ask me about any of this. But people talk about, you know, being wine connoisseurs. They're like, oh, this one has a little more flavors, peppery flavor, red wine. And I'm like, it all tastes the same. same. To me. <laughs> but that's what's differentiating one cannabis flower from a different cannabis flower. 
And then we get into a, maybe a, another quote unquote species, which is called hemp. And hemp really in the United States has very specifically to do not with the flower, but it has to do with the chemical component of THC. That's it. So it has to do with, it cannot have more than 0.3% THC in the plant. Uh-huh. And as long as it doesn't have that, then it's classified as hemp. So, well, I've seen a lot of um, hemp oils, hemp lotions inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I go over to the States, I've seen them in Target and Walmart and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I was surprised. I always wanted to know what was the difference between the actual THC and the hemp. And I'm glad that you cleared that up. Right. So it, it has to do with the chemical components. And the, the interesting thing is, is that because hemp, quote unquote, versus cannabis is now regulated, is not regulated, I should say. So hemp is not regulated at all across the 50 United States. So there's no regulatory checkpoints. No one's making sure that there is less than 0.3% THC, even if somebody wrote that on the internet. Um, So you really have to be mindful of what you're getting and check and make sure there's a certificate of analysis that is consistent with what's being advertised on the label. Right. So it's it's these little factors that we have to be really careful and mindful of. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Sherry, you had mentioned earlier about the endocannabinoid system. And I want to get into that. Like, where is the endocannabinoid system located in our body and what's really its function? Great question. So we're still figuring all of this out. So we in the science world act like, oh, we know everything about everything. We, we know every organ system that exists in your body and we know all about the brain. Guess what? We are still discovering and figuring things out. I believe it was just in the last three years that we discovered that there is a, another layer of the skin. And forgive me, this is not my field of expertise at all, but it it was because whenever we did slides under the microscope, we always dehydrated it with alcohol. And so all of a sudden, when you take a real life, right, a real life um, sample that you can now see, for example, with MRI and all these different new technologies, that we also actually see a layer that is that is a water-filled layer of our skin. And that was never known before. So That was just a really interesting new one. Um, But in the brain, we're constantly finding things out. So the endocannabinoid system is a new-ish organ system that we're we're still trying to understand completely. Um, We've got receptors almost throughout our entire bodies. The predominant number of receptors are CB1 or cannabinoid one receptors in our brain. And that's at four times the number of dopamine receptors that we have in our brains. And we've known about dopamine receptors. We study them in school. We study them in undergrad. We study them everywhere. But we've never studied something that is four times the quantity in our brains. So the cannabinoid one receptor. We also have the cannabinoid two receptor. And what we're trying to figure out right now is is where all these are, how do they respond, what the you know, how these all function within our bodies. So they, we have them in our brain, we have them in muscle tissue, we have them on our skeletal system, we have them in our blood vasculature system, we have them in the heart, um, we have them, I'm trying to think of a couple more places I can point out to you, the GI tract and multiple different GI organs, including, I believe, ooh, I wanna say the adrenal glands, and the spleen. Don't quote me on that one. But we. But my point is, it's so far widespread over our different systems, right? Right. And really, interestingly enough, what you know, what's starting to come out, just starting to come out in discussions now, is oh, well, what if we take this with blood pressure medications because it does affect our blood vasculature. Will they interact together? Will they not interact together? What do we see? And there's a big discussion. There was a recent journal article in the cardiovascular literature about this. You know, on the one hand, the entire article talked about how, in general, cannabinoids drop your blood pressure. Right. Wow. And then at the end of the article, in the conclusion, they said, "Be careful for hypertension." <laughs> and we're like, well, "How? How do you draw that conclusion when your entire article you're talking about decreases in 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 your blood vessel?" Right, and your blood pressure. And now all of a sudden at the very end, you're going to conclude the exact opposite. 
And it just goes to show that it's really still difficult to have these conversations and it's important, right? My older adult patients, somebody the other day asked me why, why anybody needs to see a cannabis specialist. And I said, you know what? If you're 20, if you're 30 and you're gonna go smoke a joint, right? And right. enjoy yourself on a weekend appropriately, right? We wanna encourage appropriate use. Right. Um, go for it. Nobody needs to see a doctor for that. I'm not telling you to, you know, consult a doctor if you want to figure out if you like wine better or beer better, <laughs> then go figure that out on your own. That's fine. You don't need me. But when we need to be really respectful of this as a medicine is when you're on three antihypertensives, right? When you're on two different antipsychotics or antidepressants, when you're on, I mean, that was just a patient I saw today, one patient who was on all five of those medicines. Wow. When we are, you know, when we're treating uh, patients with dementia who are on, you know, about half a dozen to a dozen different medications across the field, right? Those are things that we need to have a healthy level of respect for this as a medicine. Okay. We have to understand that dose matters and that the way it affects your blood vessels at the very least, not just your brain, but also your blood vessels is going to change. Oftentimes I have to drop people's blood pressure medication after a few weeks of treatment. And it's a good thing. It's a great thing. Um, I had a 17 year old with multiple genetic uh, abnormalities and unfortunately also with pulmonary artery hypertension. This I've been seeing her for three months for a variety of issues. And she went in to do a follow-up on her pulmonary artery hypertension and the echo showed resolution of it. And we all were scratching our heads and said, well, that was, a surprise, yeah. right? That's not something that resolves spontaneously. That's not, that's something that is a lifelong disease or death defining illness, right? That's not something that just magically gets better. And so the question became, well, what are we doing differently in her? And the answer was, we only did one thing differently in the last three months. And that was actually CBD and a THC, small amount of THC combination for her. And it is important. And then you go looking up in the literature and guess what I found? I found an article that discusses CBD in rat models that clears pulmonary artery hypertension. And you kind of like, right, you, you like raise an eyebrow and you go, how come nobody ever talks about this? Right. <laughs> how come nobody's doing more research on this really interesting <laughs> subcategory of medicine? Um, and it's, it's hard. It's really difficult because in the same week that I've had all these really positive outcomes, in the same week, I had a neurologist fire one of my pediatric patients from their office for using CBD and coming clean about it and talking to the neurologist about, you know, I'm on to other anti-epileptic medications that aren't working. And that's why we're seeking a uh, you know, a secondary consultant. This is not the primary diagnosis, or sorry, this is not the primary medication we're using to treat. This is now a third medication. And yet still I'm having a neurologist fire a seven-year-old patient. I mean, it's just unhealthy. It's unhealthy for physicians to think that they should fire patients because they're using an adjunctive medicine, which has already been shown in the neurologic journals to be helpful for seizure disorders right. so it's it's crazy it's just out of control i think the more that we have conversations about cannabis i think it'll become more eye-opening and people would want to do more and so i have another question about the endocannabinoid system does it affect our tolerance in some way with cannabis yes like every single thing you put in your body. And I will include food in that category. <laughs> so if you eat a lot, you have a bigger gastric area. And one of the treatments for obesity, which is too much eating as a result of feeling hungry because you're adjusted to a lot of food is actually a gastric stapling. So we literally physically staple people's stomachs to close it up so that people don't overeat because right. anything you use in excess, including food, you will adjust to. And that's actually the beauty of being a human. So we adjust to things and we adjust to our environments. We adjust to our sunlight. We adjust to our water intake and we move forward in life. And THC and CBD are no different. The biggest difference is, is that most people will hit a point of tolerance. 
And what will happen specifically with THC is that THC will backfire and it will literally cause you to feel exactly the opposite thing. So what happens is, is I, for example, I take one milligram of THC at night to sleep pretty consistently. This is an example, this is not me. And um, I decide to take a five milligram dose because, hey, why not? You know what ends up happening? I wake up in a panic attack. I start vomiting. I don't feel good. And that lasts for hours on end. Because THC does this really remarkable thing that very few medications do. And it says, this is too much. You're misusing me. Right. Okay? It doesn't happen for everybody, right? You also even have something called cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, where people in essence form an allergy to THC and it's specific to THC, and it's specific to either chronic users or new, new users, and it tends to happen with overuse. So where I've seen cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, and that specifically is when people start having chronic abdominal pain and chronic vomiting that lands them in the ER occasionally, and they you know, don't feel good. And so they think that because THC is for abdominal pain and nausea and vomiting, that they should take more. So they up their dosage and they keep taking more and more, even though it's actually what's causing the problem. And so what ends up happening in those situations is patients take, they smoke THC and then they ingest THC and take it as an edible. And they start using these really big dosages. And inevitably what happens is their body starts rejecting it and saying, this is no good for me. I don't like it. And they get abdominal pain and vomiting. And this is increasing at an increasing rate throughout the United States as more and more states legalize, because we're again, not talking enough about the way THC affects our bodies in general. All we talk about is a little is good, a lot is better. That's right. not right. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of tolerance, going back to your original question, yes, you do develop some tolerance. The interesting thing about THC is, is that the tolerance that you develop is actually to the high of it, not necessarily to the medical benefits. And so what we see frequently is that people after a few days of use stop feeling stoned and they actually just get good pain control management, anxiety control management um, without feeling intoxicated or inebriated. Okay. And um, is the tolerance different between males and females? Or is it? it is. Um, and Dr. Ziva Cooper at UCLA is has been doing a lot of research about gender differences in terms of THC specifically and how it affects us. There's there's a lot of back and forth about it, but what I will say is, is at the end of the day, um, your weight and your fat tissue matter with THC as well as CBD because it is a lipophilic molecule or chemical. And what that means is, is it, it gets stored in your body fat. So if you are a 90 pound, five foot five woman, which is anorexic, so I should, probably shouldn't use that example. How about this? If you're 110 pounds and you're five foot two, you probably have very little adipose tissue, you have very little fat tissue. If you're a six foot tall, 210 pound guy, again, you probably do, you have more fat tissue than the five foot two girl, but, and it's going to affect you differently. You're going to be able to tolerate much more. What are the forms of use in cannabis? Oh, so many. Mm -hmm. This is the fun part. Okay. So you can smoke or inhale products. Now you can inhale oils, flour, or wax dab shatter. I put those all in one group. Okay. So you can burn flour, like a joint is what kind of we classically think of. That's, you know, flour that's wrapped in paper. You can vape flour, which means that you're heating it up like a bong. That's kind of the easiest way to think about it. Um, you can vape oil, which are what these new like e-cigarettes look like, or you can smoke or vape wax dab shatter, which is for most people think of things like hashish or, you know, super concentrated um, THC oils. And it's really specific. It's never CBD oil. Let's be very clear. Okay. This is always THC. And we're talking about super concentrated amounts. 
You can ingest this. You can use it as a sublingual tincture. You can ingest it in food forms or in oil forms. Again, because it's a fatty base, it mixes very well with a lot of food items. And that's why we see brownies and right. chocolate and gummies because they're all fat-based items, right? They cook well. Um, you can administer this through an NG tube or G tube. I have patients with both, and that's a whole nother variety because we have to be careful about how to get oil through a G tube or an NG tube because it gets stuck. Um, you can use this as a rectal suppository or a vaginal suppository, or for women, we even see this as a clitoral spray for um, improvement in orgasms and sexual interactions. Um, and then you can also use this as a topical, so as a cream-based product or even an oil-based product that you use over the skin area. I think those are the big ones. <laughs> um, getting back to the suppositories, well, the intravaginal suppositories, I recently watched a lecture on cannabis and women's health. And the lecturer stated that with intravaginal suppositories, they've been helpful with chronic pelvic pain and pain with intercourse. And that's it. right, it's just amazing the breakthrough that's happening with cannabis. That's exactly right. So we also, one organ system that I didn't mention when we were talking about organ systems is actually the, um, the GU tract, right? So general urinary, right. um, we have kidney receptors as well as um, uterine receptors. So part of the problems with endometriosis and cramping or menstruation, we're seeing really big improvements in that group in general. And it's really remarkable. Um, you know, I always say you, you in high school, you always knew one girl who would miss a couple days every month of school, right. every single month. And, you know, you talk about kind of the way to take women out of the workforce or the intellectual force or the educational force. And this is one of those ways, you know, by allowing for them to be incapacitated by their menstrual cycles. You know, it has nothing to do with your capacity as a human being to function otherwise. Um, so yes, it's so important. And then I always also say about Viagra, you know, men have had something to help very specifically for sex. That is literally the only point of Viagra is to help a man get a dick hard. Right. Oh, I shouldn't say that. To, right, right. So it's I had a patient who, sorry for, for the details here, but I had a, uh, I think he was like 65 year old gentleman patient correct me and he said, Dr. Sherry, it doesn't help you. Viagra gets you hard. It doesn't get you up, right? So is that the correct terminology? And then with cannabis, it helps with your um, desire, right? And it helps with completion, which are two very different perspectives. And in fact, we had a Stanford University um, research article just last year get published. And it was about women and women having orgasms, which we rarely see out there in the world because nobody cares about women's orgasm. Most importantly, because it's not covered by insurance. So <laughs> Viagra is, anything to do with a woman's pelvis is not, right? Um, right? We have to discuss birth control, et cetera, et cetera, but I, I won't go down that very difficult path and abortions, but, but this is also one of those things, right? It, no pharmaceutical company is necessarily interested in getting a woman to complete orgasm because no insurance company is going to pay for it because of so many other political reasons. Right. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. And really, if we're going to value women in, in the world, we have to value their form of pleasure, right? Like we've been talking about since the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. um, rest, relax, sex is part of that. Sex is one of the few ways that we release our natural occurring endorphins. You know, exercise is one, um, interacting with friends and family and kind of a social setting is another one. And sex is a really important one. Right. And out of the forms of cannabis, which one really kicks in the fastest and lasts the longest? Anything that goes through an inhaled pathway works the fastest and anything in medicine, we learn whatever works fast goes away fast. So it works fast and it goes away fast. 
Things that take longer to take effect also take longer to break down and metabolize and leave. So inhaling things or things that go through your lungs work quickly, but they also go away quickly. Things that you ingest that take a long time to work, so about an hour to two hours, also take about six to eight hours to leave. And how do we decide which products to prescribe for a patient? Is it always patient's choice? Good question. So this comes to the art of medicine. (laughs) My favorite part about cannabis is that it was not formed in a bubble with three scientists who have a PhD who are stuck in the basement of a laboratory. (laughs) This was imploded and exploded by hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people have taken it and have made it to their own particular situation. So they've really melded the plant into what works best for them. And as a result, what we've seen is, is, you know, I've talked about like the G-tube, the NG-tube, the, you know, suppositories, the rectal, the vaginal, all of these different solutions to all of these different problems. And so really it breaks down to what's specifically the intention with a patient, right? So if the intention is I need something that works quickly and leaves quickly, for example, I have, you know, young mothers who have a hard time sleeping, they have postpartum, they have, um, they can't sleep because they hear phantom baby screams in the back of their mind. And they, they still feel like they need to be alert and capable if there's an earthquake, if there's a storm, if there's a fire, you know, you name whatever natural disaster um, people think about when they go to sleep at night. Smoking is a great modality because it works quick and it goes away quick. And so we can get your mind to dim quickly and come back online quickly. And also it doesn't impede your decision-making capacity, right? Whereas on the other hand, you know, you have patients with dementia and they have, uh, you know, poor swallowing function. I have one gentleman who was in a nursing home, is legally blind, partially deaf, and has bad arthritis, right? He can't oh. use, he, right, it's a, it's a really difficult, so you talk about like using an oil tincture, he cannot read or use that oil dropper. So that backfired. Um, using an edible backfired because it was too hard for him to break up or to swallow. So we ended up using a vape pen because he didn't have to roll anything, it was smokeless. So nobody else in the, in the boarding care with him had to deal with smoke issues mm-hmm. and he could utilize it without overdoing it. So really, really variety of things with my, you know, young autistic patients, we talk about oil tinctures more often, mm-hmm. right? Things that you can give a child easily and measure out accurately because the dose is much more important in those situations. Okay. And so there are many uses of cannabis, as we know, and in any way that your specialty, sorry, is with cannabis and pain. How can cannabis affect pain management or how has it affected pain management so far? We are still in the opiate epidemic. Mm-hmm. So we've been in this epidemic for a few years now, which is bizarre because if you think about it, every time one person dies of a, of a drug overdose, an opiate overdose, they don't give it to anybody else, right? It's not transmissible. Like, mm. oh, you know, like COVID, one person dies of COVID in the hospital, all of a sudden you've exposed all the people they've been with for the last week, right. all the people who are in the hospital, all the you know nurses, caregivers, providers, all of those people, right? But this is very different. So how is it that every time you die from an opiate overdose, there's not less people in the world out there that are not going to die from opiate overdose. So even though it's non-transmissible, we're still seeing higher and higher rates. And in the pandemic, it got worse, right? Because people were lonely, they were Mm -hmm. sad, they were scared, and it didn't fare well for people. So in this case of opiate epidemic, and in this case where we know that certain medical procedures are incredibly painful, um, orthopedic procedures, people go home with bottles of painkillers, right? Right. Um, People who undergo any surgical procedure for that matter, right? The expectations, they'll need a ton of opiates. What if we could say, and then the question becomes, who's gonna wean them off the opiates? How are we gonna get them off the opiates? 
you know, how long is it going to take? Are, are we going to manage their pain? Pain is such a, you know, it's such a, um, uh, exciting word these days, right? Like uh, on Yelp, you'll see they didn't treat my pain. You know, everyone can talk about like, but you didn't make me feel better. And that's your job as a doctor. And I always say like, we need to temper that idea with also what outcomes come from all of that. So is my goal as a doctor to get your pain to a zero? You have to be able to tell me that. Right. Do you want your pain to a zero? Because I can tell you most medication, unless I overdo it, likelihood is, is your pain will get to a zero. But I'm going, and we have these conversations all the time with patients. How about if I was to get your pain, which is currently a nine to 10 out of 10, how about if we get it down to under a six? Right. So it's closer to like a three to a five on a regular basis. How would you do with that? Would that be okay with you? Are you okay with that? And it's important to get people to accept that as a reasonable option, right? right. Is that a reasonable option to you? And if it is, then we can do this together on your dose of opiates and adjust up your dose of cannabinoids. Um, so I had a, a 30, I think he turned 40 this year late 30 year old male patient who was on sublingual fentanyl. This is one of our strongest opiate pain medications that you can take at home without injecting. Um, and fentanyl, I don't know if you've learned about this yet, was originally prescribed and the pharmaceutical recommendation was for cancer related and end of life related pain. That was the indication for it. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, we hit a pharmaceutical company that was completely unethical and, you know, bribed, paid doctors, pharmaceutical pharmacists, et cetera, and got people addicted. They convinced the medical community that this was a very valid way of treating pain. And lo and behold, we have a 40-year-old male who's on sublingual fentanyl for a decade to treat pancreatitis pain that magically is not going away, right? And not just treating the pain, but uh, you won't even believe me if I tell you, was taking sublingual fentanyl, 400 to 800 micrograms every hour. The whole what? Day. Right. This would kill me, the first dose. Okay. Incredible, right? Incredible amounts of opiate. This is, I believe I calculated at one point, it was either 1,100 or 1,600 mic- uh, morphine milligram equivalents per day that this wow. gentleman was taking. It's a lot, it's a lot. Yeah. And by the way, here's the deal is that it wasn't his fault, right? And we have to remember, we have to take the patient out of a blame position because they feel bad already about having to take this. Mm-hmm. They feel bad every month that they have to go get their prescription refilled at the doctor's a month, at the doctor's office. They feel bad every time they have to go to the pharmacist and the pharmacy gives them uh, dirty looks. Because guess what? The pharmacist does give people dirty looks. And guess what? Doctors do give patients dirty looks. And they roll their eyes and they're mean about it. Unintentionally, I'm sure that's not their intentions, but it happens. And it makes people feel bad about what they're taking. And it is a prescriptive medication. So we're not even talking about they're going out and scoring dope on their own, right? This is something that was prescribed and they did it through doctor's office for the last decade, every single month for a decade. So we we also have to accept a portion of that blame. No, I, I don't blame doctors entirely, but we have to accept a portion of that. And so we have to make it better. Right. And the question becomes, how do we make it better? This gentleman was, did not want to be on this and he couldn't get off. He tried a hundred different ways from Sunday and could not get off of this. Mm-hmm. And together in three months, I had him off all fentanyl. And this is 100% with only oral use of cannabinoids. And not just oral use cannabinoids. He didn't want to smoke because he had a new baby at home. Mm -hmm. So that was off the table. So people were like, oh, you just smoke pot all day. That's all you do. Like, no big deal. No, that's not how this happens. And I will be very clear, this in general is not how it works for most people. Um, We used combinations of CBD and THC for him we used a short acting and a long acting cannabinoid for him. We did this so that he could sleep through the night, whereas he wasn't able to sleep through the night with fentanyl. We did this so that we could get his life back. 
Right. And this is where we're not talking about it, right? We talk about, oh, we're going to come up with a new different version of a mu receptor blocker or agonist. Let's get off the mu receptors, right? Let's get off the opiate receptor. Let's go a different pathway. We've got right. other options out there. Why do we keep trying to hit the, the nail on its head in just one way and in just one direction? It doesn't fit. Right. And the reason is, and there's just one reason, and it's pharmaceutical money. And until the day that we can get individual private benefactors to pay forward in the medical education and in the scientific world, we are not going to get somebody who's interested in this. And there's one very good reason why, because this is available to everybody. Right. Anybody can grow cannabis in their backyard. It grows like a weed. That's why it's called weed. Right. It is easy to obtain. It is cheap. It grows fast and you can make this easily for yourself. So why would a pharmaceutical company ever invest in something that you can make in the comfort of your own home and not pay them back for the millions of dollars of research that they put into it and profit? Agreed. So, so we need private benefactors to start putting their money where their mouth is. Mm -hmm. And if they think that this is beneficial, they need to start helping others. Right. And so I'm, I'm so glad that you brought the opioid crisis. Has it been more effective than the use of opioids? And can we look forward to it being a substitute of pain medication? Not necessarily. So I think opiates have their own place in medicine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, immediately postoperatively, opiates work very well. Mm -hmm. um, when you're in the hospital, opiates work very well. Um, when you've got an acute kidney stone, and you think you're delivering a baby out of your urethra, opiates work very well. I mean, there's, there's definitely appropriate places where opiates work. And quite frankly, cannabinoids don't. I mean, like we, we can't have one shoe fit all, all feet, right? Like we need to recognize that there's a reason why we have like 15 different blood pressure medications on the market. Why do we have 15? Why do you have an ARB and an ACE inhibitor, you know? Why have two different types of antacids? Why have an H2 blocker and a PPI? Because our bodies have multiple systems, right? We have multiple overlapping systems to reinforce what's going on in our, in our body. So we have fail safes and fail proofs. So why not utilize both? Why, why not understand and recognize that there's a place for everything? And besides opioids, is the use of cannabis better than the use of alcohol? Okay, so <laughs> I've seen this all over social media. Cannabis versus alcohol. Each has its own place, mm. just like opiates versus cannabis. And we're not going to change everyone's mind overnight. And quite frankly, you know, I, I can't, you know, I, I will have a glass of wine here and there, but I won't smoke a joint. I mean, I'm, I'm of that era where it's still not second nature to me. Right. right. Despite the fact that this is what I do all day long, every day. Right. Um, it's, it's not what's better or worse. It's what's for right now. And, you know, am I opening up a bottle of wine because I want to just escape? Is that what I'm looking for? Am I opening up a bottle of wine to enjoy it with family members? Am I opening up a beer because I do that every day and I drink 10 of them or 15 of them or 20 of them a day until I black out and go to sleep. You know what? We go back to this whole idea of intention. What's the intention for? Like I mentioned earlier, wine is a part of my culture, right? Like I, we drink wine every Friday night. It's part of, um, it's part of that tradition for better or for worse. It's, and it's not that it's for worse. You know, we, we have to get our mindsets out of like, you know, A is always better and B is always negative. It's not that. It's it's moderation. Um, my grandfather used to always tell me he'd have a literal like half a stick of butter <laughs> with his breakfast every day. And I'd be like, Grandpa, you're like 90. Isn't that like not good for you? And I was probably 15 at the time. Um, and he's like, everything in moderation. An egg is okay for you, even if you have high cholesterol in moderation, right? Like Everything is not evil, either evil or angelic. It's not like that. And we need to stop separating things out as evil and angelic. 
Um, and that's how we get into, you know, political turmoil and, you know, black versus white and brown versus green and, you know, wh whatever those, the new nuance of the day is, right? right. We, we need to start getting away from that and looking at people as being people, right. looking at, you know, a, a, different aspects of relaxation and resetting the clock and, you know, reinvigorating your life as part, just that it's reinvigorating your life, right? Um, I'll tell you, if you were going to abuse one versus the other, abuse of alcohol leads to terrible long-term issues and not just long-term personal issues, but also long-term social issues. Right. Um, we, incredibly see a lot of alcoholic patients in the emergency department every single day. I see at least 10 to 20% of my patients are misabusing alcohol every single day in the ER. Right. Um, we see long-term liver damage. We see skin problems. We see GI issues. We see, um, you know, husbands beating wives who are drunk. We see you know, domestic violence associated with alcohol. We see, we see so many problems from misuse of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And it's because a little is good, a lot is better. That, that mindset of a little is good, a lot is better. And we need to start being respectful of what we put into our bodies, be it THC, be it CBD, be it alcohol, be it, um, you know, fill in the blank the only evil i ever say is is evil and you just cannot do is smoking nicotine e-vape cigarettes whatever version of it you want to call it because those are all all 100 designed to addict 100 of the time um that's the only thing that i will really call as evil and it's because the industry is evil it it doesn't have to do with the actual tobacco plant <laughs> so, so um but just to be clear so yes, you will see some improved outcomes overall with people who use THC to sleep at night who have chronic depression. We will see less commonly long-term issues from liver GI tract, et cetera. But again, misusing is misusing. And I, I don't want anybody to walk away from this discussion as thinking like, oh, see, I told you, mom, dad, right. I can smoke pot, whatever I want. It's good for you. And it's better for you than drinking. So therefore, that's what I'm going to do. Intention matters. And I, I think maybe that should have been my quote for the day. Thank you, Dr. Sherry, for clearing that up as well. Because oftentimes, like I said, we would always see, oh, is the debate is always if alcohol is better or is cannabis better. And you're right. You don't want anybody to walk away with, oh, well, this one is better than the other. And like you said, everything also in moderation. And I'll take it one, I'm going to take one more step further and say, you know, just like we teach our young women who go to a bar, not to get drunk, to go to a bar with a friend, stay safe. Um, you know, when you get uh, drunk off your butt and you don't recall things, that's when you're you know, there's no excuse for rape, but that's when you become victimized. That's when right. you become, you know, people can pour things in your drinks and, and right. give it to you and you become, you black out. So we want to encourage the same thing to our young women and our young men, right? Don't take, you know, a vape pen from just anybody, right? Do this. You don't know what they put in it. These things are now laced with PCP. They're laced with fentanyl. They're laced with God knows what else. Right. Um, and every time we turn around, this, these, they're lacing things with, with other drugs, right? So please, if you're going to use this, do it safely. Go out and get your own. Go out and, you know, roll a joint <laughs> on your own. Um, you know, as young ladies, we need to be careful of each other and we, we need to protect one another. And if you're going to do this, do this in a group where you feel comfortable that you're not at risk for these things. Um, do it in pairs. Don't, don't get blackout intoxicated with this either. That's not helpful. Um, you know, although we don't see the same numbers of people, you know, getting getting drunk and abusing their significant other spouses, et cetera, with alcohol that we see and not with cannabis. It doesn't mean it won't happen or it doesn't happen. It just means that alcohol is so hugely more misused than cannabis is that right. maybe it's just a, a numbers game. So, so let's be cautious and conscientious about it. Thank you, Dr. Sherry. I'm That's gonna mention a couple of uh, new things that I'm working with or groups that I'm working 
um, with, if, if I could take just a moment here. That's right. Um, so I uh, do sit on the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. Uh, this is a medical group that has been around for over 20 years since the start of medical cannabis here in California. Mm -hmm. And now it is available across the world. It is a essentially a digital age um, type of organization because everything is done online and via Zoom. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can still participate. Um, we've got journal clubs, we've got educational lectures, we've got CME lectures for um, physicians and budding physicians. Um, so really take a look, cannabisclinicians.org. They're a really wonderful organization. And um, the more we can do to help support groups like that, the better um, movement we're going to see in terms of getting our, our new physicians and our old physicians um, aware of the medical aspects to this plant. Um, all right, so that's cannabisclinicians.org, uh, one more time. Um, another plug here real quick for Uli Organics, U-L-L-I Organics. This is uliorganics.com. This is a CBD company that I am working with. If you have suggestions as to what you would like to see in your CBD medication, I wanna start bringing that back into creating a line of CBD that is more helpful um, specifically for medical patients. Um, this is something that we're working along towards creating and making a better version Again, specifically for medical patients, you're going to see a hypoallergenic line coming through soon, but it is um, a CBD line that is currently mixed with um, other nutraceuticals, right? So things like lavender, things like limoline, things where we want to get um, patients better care on a, on a more global perspective. Um, and um, one more plug for myself. So I am the medical director for my own uh, clinical medical practice that does cannabis only. Um, I see patients, uh, my youngest patient is unfortunately just a few months old um, for palliative care and end of life treatment. And my oldest patient is about 100. And so we see patients in all walks of life with all types of medical diagnoses. And the goal here is to be a consultant, to help you learn about what to do, to help you dose these things correctly, to manage your other medications to go along with it, and then ultimately to let you continue on your own. Because the idea is not to rope you in for a monthly visit every month, but just to get you to understand and be educated about what you're using. Okay, thank you. And you can um, oh, follow. And, sorry, and then that's the Relief Institute at, at .com. Sorry, the Relief Institute, R-E-L-E-A-F, like the leaf on a tree, the reliefinstitute.com. Um, or and you can email me always directly, Sherry at MD Relief. Again, R-E-L-E-A-F, like the leaf on a tree.com. Thank you for coming on the show. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, we do a medical journal, um, emergency medicine news column, the case for cannabis. If you have interest or excitement about joining our medical student um, quarterly lecture, send me or Chloe an email and we'll get you on the list and we'll, we'll talk shop. Thanks for listening. If you'd enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at chloe underscore v underscore. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.